What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. Good morning. Get my last drink of water. I had a little cough. The cold weather always brings a cough out. So, uh, welcome. Bienvenidos for those of you speaking Espanol in the audience this morning. Uh, those of you tuning online, uh, welcome. I want to thank you for tuning. Let me go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Trey Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church here in Jackson, Missouri. We want to thank you for tuning online this morning, but what we also want to do is invite you and your family to come be a part next week of what God is doing right here in Jackson, Missouri. Those of you here, thanks for coming. Uh, today, we begin our series of series, basically. Um, we're going to be going through the Bible from beginning to the end over the next two to three years, however long it takes. And today we start... At the beginning, to be honest, I think I've done more studying this week than I have in a long time trying to figure out how to approach creation. Because there's so much information there. And there's so much that science is telling us now that there's so much more proof of God's existence, I should say. The more they study, the more they figure out that the Bible is actually a pretty accurate book. So, uh, so I was debating this week as I was studying. I'm like, how much of this do we talk about in church? How much of this do we say for Bible study? Because hopefully later this year, we're going to begin a Bible study on creation and Genesis and whether it's actually history or not. And I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to say, I'm going to say a ton of details for that. But uh, I will try to hit the highlights that I feel are important this morning as we go. So before we do it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you this morning for those here. We thank you for those tuning online this morning, God. I just pray that you would be with this message this morning, Lord, that you would speak your words through me, that they would not be my own, that those listening would get out of it exactly what you would have them to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <coughs> The Great Divide, the series we began last week. Last week, we began by giving you an overview of the entire Bible. What's the big story? What's the big picture? So we went from Genesis to Revelation last week, just hitting the highlights. We couldn't obviously read the whole Bible in 30 minutes. So we hit the highlights and talked about the big story. What's the big picture? Now we're going to go back to the beginning and just see how it all began. And some of you have read Genesis and you're like, well, you know what, Pastor? I have read this book a thousand times. I think I know the creation story. But now I'm hoping this morning I can introduce you to some stuff maybe you hadn't thought about before. So uh, key passages for the entire series, The Great Divide, will be John 1, 1 through 4. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. And Him was life. And the life was the life of men. Now, some of you may be able to tell just by reading that why we would pick that for our key passage. But that passage is talking about Jesus. The word in that passage is Jesus. He's been there. He, didn't, he wasn't just there when he became a man and lived with us. 
He's been there since the beginning. He's been there all along with God. It says right here that nothing was made without him. Everything was made through him. So without him, nothing was made that was made. So I figure that's a pretty important verse, especially when we're going to be talking about the beginning of everything. The title of today's message, I decided, and I went debating, whether should we call it creation? Should we call it the beginning? And I landed on the beginning. So we're going to call it the beginning this morning. What is going on in the beginning of Scripture? And obviously, Scripture begins with day number one. Let's go ahead and check out our verse this morning. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5 is where we'll start. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, when I was studying the commentaries and things I was reading, of course, they hit on the context. That's what they're supposed to do. The commentary will hit on the context. What was the author thinking when this was written? The common belief, we're not sure, but the most common belief among the Jews and everyone else is that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Somehow God inspired him to write down just how it all began. Now, there's another possibility that I've noticed studying over the years is that from Adam and Eve, that story has been passed down from generation to generation. And when it got to Moses, they were already familiar with the story. And he just decided, hey, it's time to write something down. There's a lot of theories out there. Let's talk about what the word says. So the real question is you ask as you're reading this passage. And the question I would ask, especially if I'd never read the Bible before, would be, well, what is light? What is the light it's talking about here? What's going on with light? Well, if you Google the word light... Google will tell you that light is this. There's two definitions. The first one is the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. When we came into the room this morning, or right before the video ended, it was dark. We flip on the light switch. You can see. That's one definition of light. The other definition, definition number two that they would give you is understanding of a problem or mystery. Enlightenment. In other words, you learned something. You were enlightened by something. They call that bringing it to light. Uh, you shed a little light on the situation. You, you now understand maybe in a way that you didn't. Now, if you look at commentaries and things that they talk about, they're going to tell you something that I believe is absolutely true. That at this point, when God says, let there be light, it is the creation of time itself. Time, remember, God exists outside of time. And in my own mind, the way I picture it, just in my mind, is that time is like that line that you can see when you're uh, at school or they got the history line, you know, where they give you the history and there's a whole line of it. And I, I always visualize our time, that line, and God is standing maybe where I'm at looking at the line because he can come in any point he wants in history because time does not, he's not confined with time. He's not, time's not holding God. He's not in time. We're in time. So we understand things happen, people die. Where does that death come from? That's something we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. But uh, so the first observation is this is the creation of time itself. And that would be what they say the author, maybe Moses, wrote or what he was thinking when he wrote this down on paper. Time begins. God creates. 
I want to go a little deeper because our creation scientists out there give us a lot of good theories. And the one I'm going to roll with this morning is this. When God said, because remember, the sun, moon, stars weren't created to the fourth day. So it's not talking about the sun. God said, let there be light. One theory suggests, and the one I believe that I roll with, is that at that point, God created atoms. What are atoms? Atoms are a little tiny particle that puts your body together. Everything is made up of atoms. The space in outer space, everything contains atoms. Well, what is atoms made of? There's three main components in atoms. When God said, let there be light, God spoke into existence space, matter, and energy. Because all of those are necessary to create life. Without them, nothing lives, nothing exists. It's dead. Okay. So at this point, and I always, and if you caught the Step Into the Life series, I, I say picture like Play-Doh. Play-Doh is just Play-Doh until you start doing something with it, right? Kids can create some of the strangest things. My kids themselves have created some of the coolest stuff. I was never really good with Play-Doh. But you can, so God speaks things here. He says, here's what I need to begin my creation. And that ends day one. So he puts the Play-Doh, so to speak, out in the atmosphere. Everything he needs to create. Then we move on to day two. Verses 6 through 8, here's what it says. Genesis 1. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So this evening and morning were the second day. So at this point, on day two, God begins doing something. He begins creating with light. He says, you know what? It's here. Let's begin this day. Well, the first thing we notice mentioned in our scriptures is water. Well, well, the water was there. And they said a better translation probably would be fluid. It was some sort of fluid that just existed out there. So what does God do? He creates a firmament. A firmament is what divided the waters from the waters. Some of us would, some translations interpret that sky or what you see above you divided what's obviously our oceans from the waters above it. And they say that deep in space you can still find moisture and things. Now, whether or not we weren't there, these are all theories that suggest that. But so God creates this thing called the firmament. Now, in the context, in the day the author was writing this, they're going to look at that and say, because they thought that the sky was one solid material. It wasn't where you could go out past it. It was there. It was what divided them from God. So God divides it in a solid material. Now, that's their interpretation. I like what science tells us. Scientists say that there's a possibility that at one point before what we would call the Ice Age or the Great Flood, there was water surrounding our planet. Now, we'll get to that when we get to Noah, so I don't want to jump too far ahead. But know this, God begins to bring order to the light. We've read the scripture before that God likes things done decently and in order. And you're going to notice, I hope, as we go through the creation story today, that God has an order to everything he does. He spoke light. Now it's there. He begins creating. He divides the waters. Here, what's so important about water? I think a lot of us underestimate water and its importance to us. Agua for Spanish. Agua. We're talking about water. Check out what I got. This, this is taken from 
from the book Unlocking the Mysteries of Creation by Dennis R. Peterson. I love this book. It's got pictures, so if you're one of those that likes pictures, it shows you like archaeology dig, all these science pictures, and it talks about it, and it's really cool. But here's what he had to say when it comes to the topic of water. Check this out. And I am jumping around in his text, so you just have to get the book at some point. It says, water is one of the most primary physical phenomena, yet it defies normal chemical theory. Water is the only substance that can be a gas, a liquid, or a solid, all three. That's water. He jumps on as you move down that same page. He says, water is absolutely essential in liquid form for all the key systems of life. Circulation, digestion, reproduction, and respiration are all dependent on liquid water. If you've ever heard the saying, water is life, it really is. That's what makes us function. That's what makes us work. He, as you go on down, and some of this stuff, I was going to ask my wife and I forgot. She's a nurse, so she probably going to tell me how to pronounce one of these words. But we're going we're gonna to get through it. He says, in the book, Your Body's Many Cries for Water by Dr. F. Batman Helmy, I think is how you say that. He's an MD. You'll see that water makes a big different, difference sorry, in issues like ulcers, Alzheimer's disease, allergies, stress, depression, hypertension, cholesterol, coronary health, and weight control. How many of y'all knew that water had such an important function? So check it out. What I was reading as I was reading this is that those eight glasses of water they tell you to drink a day, if you've heard that when you were little, you do drink at least eight glasses, that's just to replenish what your body uses in one day. So you guessed it, if we're not getting at least pure eight glasses of water, we're not functioning at our highest level. Makes you want to drink more water, doesn't it? Jumping on down, though, it says this. Check out. He says, those who value wholeness in their life will do well to take water more seriously. Without water, there is no You probably heard studies of the, the checking other planets for water because they know without water there can't be life. That's that important and that's where God starts. He starts with the water and he moves and his spirit hovers over those waters. So he touches it there. One thing that they brought up in that book is that his spirit and the water, which is essential for life, are both mentioned in the same passage. God's going somewhere. Day three, here's what it says. Verses 9 to 13 of Genesis 1. It says... Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the earth, the earth that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. At this point, God begins dividing the waters. He says, you know what? Let's make land. So the waters gather together 
one place. Now remember, it said this is the waters that were under the firmament. So under what we maybe call the sky above. The waters began gathering and the land appeared. Why is that important? Not only land, but he created plant life. Plants were trees, things like that were created that day. Well, why is that significant? Well, check it out. Now, if you think about this, let's think about it scientifically for a moment. The land provides the nutrients for the plants, right? They can't live without being planted in the soil somewhere, right? Plants also give off oxygen. We haven't got to us yet, but that's what we breathe. God gave the plants the ability to produce more of their kind. So God, you see those apples or oranges or any type of fruit. I'm using fruit as an example. You cut them open, you got the seeds inside. Some people don't know. Now, there are some that are altered nowadays. But if, there, if you catch one that's a real fruit that was grown naturally, you take the seed out of it. You can plant a whole new tree with that seed. That's what it's talking about, bearing fruit after your kind. Here's the deal. Scientists, they can tell you how the seed works, but they don't know how it works, if that makes sense. How does that seed know that I'm an orange tree or I'm a banana tree or I'm a seed of grass? How does the seed know they can't explain that? All they can do is explain to you the process of how it works. But to this day, they still have not uncovered that secret. Here's what I believe. They never will because God is the author of that. God sees to it that that seed knows exactly what it's supposed to grow. So if you plant an orange seed, you're not going to get a banana tree. You're going to get an orange tree, right? I think oranges grow on trees. I hope I'm right. So you're not going to get that. If you plant a tomato seed, don't expect to grow green beans. It's just not going to happen. God made it so that it would produce after its own kind. That's what Genesis is talking about there. But I thought it was interesting that God introduces the plants before he creates the creatures on the land. Because now there's that oxygen where those creatures can survive. We'll get back to that here in just a second. Day 4, Genesis 1, 14 to 19. Here's what it says. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let, there be, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. What happened on day four? He creates those things you see every night. The stars in the sky. He creates a greater light to rule the day. You may believe that's the sun. There's other theories out there, but we're rolling with that's the sun. He creates the sun. He creates the moon to rule the night. Why are these things important? Well, think about it. Let's talk about it. So plants, they live off the energy given by the sun. It's all part of this natural process. So when the sun shines on the plants, they pull in that energy and I'm told by studying trees, we talked about this about a year ago, we tell you the trees, trees actually make up for, I don't remember the exact percentage, but a high percentage of, I think it was like 98% of all the sun's energies, they absorb like a battery and they're able to give off to us. So it's crazy how this cycle works. But so God creates 
sun, moon, and stars. Also, what does it say that that does? It creates a calendar. It creates seasons. creates signs, days, years. One of the most popular signs, besides the constellations, which you're familiar with, is the star of Bethlehem, right? God used a star that he said would be for signs to guide the wise men to his son in that story of the Bible. So now there's a calendar in process. It's not just time. There's an actual calendar. In those days, back in this day, if you look at the context, those people would use the stars, the sun, the moon, where it was at in the sky to determine what time of day it was, what time of year it was, what time of month it was. All of these were things people used then to be able to determine those things. See, this is the stuff that many of us don't think about when we read the creation story. But you've got to understand, there's a whole world out there around creation. We're going to talk about it this fall in our leadership training. Genesis 1, as we move on to day 5, it says in verse 20 to 23. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and morning were the fifth day. Whoa, what's going on here? Can I first, I want to point out to something on this day, first of all, if you're keeping track, God creates sea creatures, he creates birds. Now, when you get to verse 21, where it says God created great sea creatures, the common thought, at least according to the commentaries I was studying, is that we think whales, sharks, those type of things were created, right? And that was probably part of it. But that word there in Hebrew is the word, I hope I say this right, Tana. Which actually means chaos monsters. Sea creatures. It doesn't just say sea creatures like what we think of as we see them today. He's talking about creatures, chaos monsters. Things that are using, for an example, just to give you a visual. There's this creature called the Leviathan. And we read about him in Psalm. You can read about Job. He's kind of all over the place in scripture. But check out what Psalm 74 says about Leviathan. He falls into the category of this word, Tani. He falls into this category. It says, you divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpents. Whoa, the sea serpent. Are you crazy? Those aren't real, are they? Are they? Check it out. Sea serpents in the water. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. What is Leviathan? We read lots of clues about this creature. If you read Job, you find out he breathed fire. He was ginormous. He had scales that were so strong, man could not penetrate those scales. But what Psalm is referring to here is that he had multiple heads. What? That's not something we would teach in school, right? Unless we're talking about dinosaurs. The Bible says it was there. So unless you're one of those people that say, oh, well, they just made that up because it sounded good, right? If you believe the word of God is true and these people are telling us something about our history, then there's something to that creature. We're not going to hang there. We'll get to it when we get to it. We're going to talk about it a little bit later on, I'm sure. 
Moving on to day six, though. Day six says this, starting at verse 24 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I'm going to stop there in verse 26 for just a second. Let's talk about what's going on here. So now he's created land animals. Why is it? How is it possible? Just get me thinking. This is just something to exercise your thoughts. How is it possible that these land creatures can exist because the plants have already been established? Oxygen is already in the air. And if you really talk, look at science, they tell us that the earth was probably very different back then. There was more oxygen. There was more things because man has kind of destroyed some of that over the years as we've created new things. But we find that he, now that there's oxygen, it's possible for these land creatures to breathe. But here's the other cool part. If you've studied science... You know that we give off carbon dioxide when we breathe out. Every breath we breathe out is carbon dioxide. What is our carbon dioxide doing if we look at science? It's allowing the plants to live too. So we live together in this thing, working together to make this thing happen. God has a plan when he's created. He just, just didn't say, oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, this is what I've done and it's done. No, God had an order. He had a reason for everything he did. Then we get to this guy called man. Did you notice anything about man? And this has been debated for years, but it didn't say, well, there was this monkey looking creature that uh, eventually evolved into what you would call modern man. No, he said this. See, I believe that that is degrading who you are in God. Because what scripture tells us is man was created. What did he say? He said, then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image. Now you can debate that you're an accident. You just happen to be created one day. And that's fine, whatever. But here's what I'm going to tell you. We're going to talk more about it, so I'm not going to be too far ahead, though. You were created with a purpose in mind. God didn't just say, you know what? I'm going to create this guy Sacramento. And he's just going to be there. And he's going to work and he's going to die one day. And that's it. He said, no, I created you who you were in my image so that you can make a difference. Because we're going to notice. Let's, let's keep reading. Just, just take the note of we give off carbon dioxide. Now we are in this, I think they call it a symbolic relationship with the plants. Check out Genesis 27. 127, sorry. Talks more about this image thing. God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. And it shall, to you it shall be 
for food. So at this point, it's assumed maybe they weren't meat eaters just yet. We actually find when we get to the end of the story of Noah, the guy says, okay, now you can eat animals. However, then there's some rules. He goes, we won't talk about that now because we want to stay here. So they're able to eat these herbs, these plants, these things that are growing around them. Let's continue reading there. Verse 30 again. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. He didn't just say it was good. Muy bien. It was very good. It was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I think that takes us a little bit deeper. God creates man in his image. Now, you can jump back to verse 26 if you want. There's been lots of debates on that word hour in the Bible. The New King James, where we're reading from, it's capitalized. That would indicate to me that it's referring to the Godhead or the Trinity, which is one belief. Some believe that the hour God was talking about was the heavenly courts and all the creatures that were watching, but not because of their creatures, but because what they believe they meant by image here is that we're able to reason. We're able to make decisions. We've got a conscience. We know the difference between right and wrong, unlike the other animals that are roaming the earth. So God took a little bit more time to create man, and he said, you know what? We're going to make this one good. We're going to create him in our image, in our likeness. But not only that, if you notice as we read on, he gave man dominion over everything on the earth. He said, here it is. You've got a conscience. You're able to decide. You're able to reason. Rule over this. So we became, man became at this point, God's ambassadors or those that would handle things here for God while he's out here ruling the cosmos, making everything work, we're here to have dominion and rule over the planet, right? At this point, everything's looking real good. And what did it say? He said it was very good. Now, I don't know if I said that right in Spanish. I hope I did. But uh, in the end, it was very good. It was very good. God said it was very good. Then the evening and morning were the sixth day. So God creates man in his image. That's an important point. So you... The next time you try to belittle yourself in your mind, saying, oh, nobody, um, remember this. If you're breathing, one, you were created in God's image, and two, God has a purpose for you. The question is, do you live in that purpose? Or do you just go day to day and just see what happens? I believe God wants us to take dominion over the things in our lives as well. He gave us that authority. Check out verse day seven. And that's actually in chapter two real quick. Verses one to three. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Why do the church people go once a week on Sundays? Now, we understand the actual Sabbath is Saturday, but it got switched when the apostles started running things. We can talk about that when we get to it. But we have that seventh day of rest. And sometimes I don't rest like I should. I wish I would. Because the Sabbath is a day to rest because God rested. We do it in honor of what God did. 
He worked six days. He rested the seventh. God asks us to follow that pattern in our lives. First of all, because if you're working seven days a week, and I understand you pay the bills, you get things done, but you're just wearing yourself out. God says you need to take a break so that when Monday rolls around again, you're ready to tackle the week. You're ready to go again. I understand there are situations. Here's what I want to say. The Sabbath is whatever day you make it. I don't say that to be little Sundays or be little Saturdays. What I'm saying is you need at least one day in your week, whatever day it is. You, this goes for you because I know some people's schedules work Sundays, work Saturdays. You don't know when you're going to get a break. But whatever the day off that you do get, that needs to be your Sabbath. You need to take a break. You need to focus a lot of times what we tend to do is realize the stuff we can get done now that we're not at work, right? So we get busy again. But God says if you will just slow down and listen when I talk, you'll take that moment to rest. I can take you so far. But you've got to be willing to listen. I created you in my image, not just because I could, because I wanted you to be set apart. I wanted a relationship with you. We're going to talk more about that relationship next week. We're going to be getting into Adam and Eve and talking about God created the woman and man. We're going to talk about marriage and those different things. Next week, we're going to talk about that stuff. This week for now, tune in online. Let me go ahead and dismiss you. I hope you got something, maybe a little bit different look of creation. It wasn't just a story you read in Genesis 1 at one point and, oh, that was cool, and you were done and you moved on. I hope you're able to pull more out of that. But you're sitting there and you say, Trent, you know what? My life is chaos. I need that Sabbath. I need that day of rest. I need time to figure out this God thing. Well, God says, here's how you receive it. You simply ask. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death. Give me of all my sins. From here on, I want to live my life for you. In your name I pray. Amen. If you said that, you meant it from the bottom of your heart. I want to say congratulations and welcome to God's family. Your next step, you need to find a church home. You need to find a place you can grow so that you can be baptized, so that we can do serve. If I figure out what gifts God has given you and have those abilities exercised so that you're able to become the very person God would have you to be, I ask you to do one more thing if you're tuning online. Go to our website, nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. On the upper left corner, click on the menu button. Go all the way to the right side. Click on the road to new life. It takes you to a whole other website that I created in college to walk people through this salvation thing. What does it mean? If you follow each page in the order that they appear there, it will take you through the process. Why do I need saved? What was the purpose of it? Why is all this? What do I got to do? That prayer that we just prayed, there's a similar prayer to that there as well. You get to the very bottom, there's a contact form. That comes directly to my email. Send me a message. I want to know that you receive Christ today. I want to know if you need a church home. If you want to grow, you're welcome. We meet at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. 3 a.m. on East Deerwood Drive, Jackson, Missouri. We would love to have you come and be a part of our church family. Find a church family. Find a place where you can grow. Next week, we're going to be talking about Adam and Eve. We're going to talk a little bit about marriage. What are those guys all about anyway, right? So, God bless. If you're tuning online, we'll see you next week.